I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net.
us read our scripture for today. It's very short. It's from Matthew 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him, him being Jesus. Someone told Jesus, look, your mother and your brother are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother, and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we are in our second week of our series called Midterms, and when we talk about midterms, we said last week that we are are not talking about the kind uh, that populate your your political ads or, or your news feeds or lead us to the polls, even though we are going to the polls this week, and we'll pray about that later. We're talking about those month to month, year to year, season of life to season of life type of midterms between like college and the dream job that you always wanted, between paying the bills and saving for the future, between sickness and health, between starting a church and a church becoming sustainable. We live life from like one big step to the next, don't we? But what happens in the in-between? That's our question. What happens in the in-between? Where is God in that middle space? Between where we are and where, where we want to be, or better yet, between who we are and who God is calling us to be. And so last week, we talked about that thing that just saturates our middle spaces and, and just you know, eats up all kinds of conversations and arguments and everything. And we talked about money. We talked about the conversation of money and and how that fits in between who we are and who we want to be, who who we are and who God's called us to be. So this week we're going to talk about the other thing um, that I think saturates the midterms of our lives, and that is the conversation of family. I told you last week that, that there's a person in our church who created a board outlining what they want their future to look like, and one of those things up there was increasing their faith in God, growing in faith in God, and they have this poster board in their house. Well, another thing up there was, like, family. Like, I mean, it didn't have, like, life, uh, life pegs on it, but, like, it could have, right? Like, you could just, like, hot glue some, like, little cars and little people, and, and, and what do I envision 
family looking like for me? Odds are that that scripture that we read today, uh, you have never seen on the front of a card for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Never. Uh, You have never seen this embroidered on a pillow at your grandmother's house or on a pillow on a shelf in Hallmark. Um, This is not exactly the gospel lesson that we pull out when we when we are in a society that um, hashtags family first, right? Some people come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your sister are outside and and they want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who are my mother? My brother, my sister, only those people who do the will of God. We should say up front today uh, that family values or putting family first or lifting up the American family as the single most important building block of society is not Jesus' thing. Jesus has this way of radically reshifting and reshaping and undercutting that, Undercutting our family values, those things that you and I hold sacrosanct, those things we put on our poster boards and we map out in our head of what comes next in life. Jesus Jesus just has this way of inverting it and changing it and refusing to make this the point or the agenda. Some people come to him and say, hey Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my mother? And who is my brother? I don't know where Jesus' daddy was at this point in time, but I know that if I talked to my mom that way, my dad would, like, have some words for me. This is is not the first time that Jesus sort of shakes up our family values, by the way. The only story we have from his childhood. Does anybody remember the only story we have from Jesus' childhood? When he went to the temple... The only story we have from his childhood, he's a runaway and he's breaking out of the family and his parents are frantically looking for him for three days. Symbolism is really important here. Don't miss the symbolism. Finally, they find him three days later and he's in the temple and Mary runs up to him, you know, and and with this mixture of fury and relief, she says, where in the world have you been? Do you know that you have driven us sick? You've you've made us sick with worry. We've been looking for you for three days. And Jesus flippantly says, Mom, you knew I was going to be in my father's house. Like, this kid needs an attitude adjustment. <laughs> so this kid grows up, by the way, and keeps hammering away at this notion, family value is not the thing notion of of what comes first and and our notion of what's important. He keeps hammering away at it. At some point in one of his sermons, he preaches, hey, look, I came to set mother against daughter, father against son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. I feel like that one would probably be pretty easy. (laughs) Finally, he comes out straight and just says it in one other verse, and he says, look, if you want to be my disciple you are going to have to hate your mother and father. So it's safe to say that for Jesus, like family time and family values and family first is just really not a big deal. It's not a thing. At least not the way that you and I 
talk about those things. Jesus does talk about family a lot, actually. He employs that language possibly more than any other language in the Gospels. Whenever he recounts a parable about the kingdom of heaven, what is the kingdom of heaven like? He usually talks about something that's happening in a family. When he tells his disciples how to pray, he teaches them to pray, Our Father. And throughout the Gospels, he goes around calling people all the time, brother and sister, except these are odd people to be calling brother and sister because they're not his brothers and sisters. In fact, they're like adulterers and murderers and thieves. Those people, Jesus reaches out and says, brother and sister. So here's the big thesis for this morning, for us as we explore another one of these kind of big questions, big conversations of the midterms of life, family. When we think about those questions of what does my family look like now, what might my family look like in the future, um, we draw the life map in our head um, as we, we, if we are are, uh, single, begin to think about what that might look like or begin to fret related to that and related to marriage as if we are, are, are currently married, begin to fret what, what, what if I run out of time, what, what if I can't, if, if we are um, midlife and we realize I didn't, what does that mean, or I did and these kids are driving me crazy, or we're later in life and we're wondering what, what does family look like for me as I begin to, to to think about that thing that, that haunts me, that stays with me, what is my legacy going to be? Here's the thesis for today. It's not that, that Jesus is anti-family. It's that Jesus is here to give us a new family. Perhaps this is why the earliest Christians started talking about their relationship with God in terms of adoption. To be a part of this movement of Jesus was to be adopted by God into a new family. And the the epicenter of that adoption was the baptismal font. The baptismal font or the pool or or the Jordan River became an adoption place. It's like putting in the form, waiting to see who you might get. How, How did this adoption happen? Well, you you showed up, and you got stripped down naked, and you got plunged into a pool, and you got scrubbed up, and then you got dressed up, and then you're in front of everybody, and everybody's watching, and you come out of the water, and suddenly you have this new family, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, Republicans and Democrats. You started calling all these people brothers and sisters, And the early Christians said, this is what God is up to, adoption into a new family. And so the answer, whether you like it or not, whether it's heartwarming or not, um, yeah, whether you get mad at me or not, (laughs) is that in your midterm of life where, where you're fretting about family, What will happen? What does it mean? The answer to it, Jesus stands before us and says, I'm not here to prop up your family. I'm here to give you a new one. 
I want that to sink in for a second because this is so radically counter to almost everything you and I have been told. Both from from pulpit and pundit, we have been told that the family or the the nuclear family, the, the nuclear family is the most sacred institution on earth. This is what we're aiming for. We've been told that the the nuclear family is the backbone of society. When when that begins to erode, when it falls apart, when when, when we we start having normal families, when when, then God's values are all out the window. And you know, we're we're all going downhill. And um, yeah, we believe that family is the most sacred thing that we can possibly imagine, that family comes first no matter what. And so we've created and consumed an entire industry of of helping folks become better parents and helping folks have children who can't conceive and helping folks order their households in ways where, where they can manage and manipulate that thing called family. And the grandest achievement we think we can do is have children and pour ourselves into our children because we believe that family is the most sacred thing in the world. If you want proof of this, if you want proof that we've bought into this notion, watch your mailbox this Christmas. Watch the Christmas cards that come into your mailbox. They are not pictures of the holy family, are they? Of the nativity, They're pictures of us in beautiful collage form, right? Because our family is the most sacred thing we could possibly offer or imagine. This has become the most central celebration of that sacred time of year. Pictures of us in Acapulco and like in front of the the Eiffel Tower, in front of the pumpkin wall at Knolls, right? Smiling and waving. Celebrate the season. So this becomes the most sacred thing that we can imagine, our family. And so, saints of God, (laughs) on this All Saints Sunday, where it's not about your family, (laughs) but it's about this wider family, Jesus refuses to buy into our false worship of family. He refuses to bow down to our notion that our family is what's going to get us where to that place we want to be. Jesus refuses to bow down to the notion that building a family is going to get us to to who God's called us to be. Jesus is here to give us a new family. Now let me be clear. (laughs) Part of the vocation that you and I all share by being adopted into this new family is raising the next generation, however that may be, in relationship, in biological um, conceiving, in adoption, in however that may be, uh, through the church community too, is raising the next generation and capturing their hearts and their imaginations for what it means to be a part of this family. Don't get me wrong, that's important. (laughs) Part of our vocation, all of our vocation, whether we feel called to have kids or we don't, whether we can have kids or we, we can't, whether, whether we're, we're striving after it or whether we don't, we don't even know whether we want to touch it, whether we, we tried 
and it wasn't possible, whether we regret not having, whether we're happy we hadn't. Wherever it is, our common vocation is for us to prepare the next generation to capture the next generation's hearts and their imaginations for what it means to be a part of this family. And I want to propose that that, that, that requires two things for us. First, giving our children, the children of the world, a picture that God is bigger than they are. This is the first task of capturing the hearts of the next generation, of living a life yourself as if God is bigger than you are. In this kind of cult worship of family that we've fallen into, we, we've, we've tried to make Jesus focus on the family and not, and Jesus is over here focus, focusing us on God. We've elevated the office of child so much so in society. So I'm not a mom. I'm not a mom. But the but I have obsessed over when and if I would have children. I've obsessed about it. And Alyssa, who is a mom, she and I were talking this week over coffee, and she can take that perspective, which one I, one I do not have, and I know that. She said that she no longer obsesses over whether she can. She obsesses over the kids themselves. She, she says that everything revolves around them, everything, and it's exhausting, she said. Our calendars, our schedules, our wallets, everything is centered around that. And Alyssa said this week over coffee that, that what's subtly taught and overtly practiced is for families, children are God. She's noticed herself leaning toward teaching her children that they are the center of the universe. And that's why it's important for, for children to know that God is bigger than they are, so much bigger than they are. Who is my brother? Who is my, who's my mother? Who is my sister, says Jesus, the one who does the will of the Father? When I was growing up, I, I, took, I took tap, and I was actually pretty good, although like, I went to a tap class with Gina, and Gina will say, I, I totally am not good anymore. I, like, it is not like riding a bike at all. <laughs> and, and so our dance studio would, would not just put on recitals, but we would put on like full shows with musicals and plays, and we'd have all kinds of dance in it, much like the Nutcracker uh, with all dancers. And so it was a Christian-owned and operated studio, and pretty much everyone in my dance class was a Christian, except there was, one, there was one girl who was Jewish. And she was by far the best dancer in our class. And she often like, kind of just monopolized the stage, but we loved her for it. Like She just kind of came into the center, and she made all of us look more beautiful because she was beautiful. And so <laughs> it was magical when she was there. Just put her in the center of the stage, but if she was not there, we were rusty. We looked like a hot mess. And, and so God forbid, God forbid we had a rehearsal or a show where she couldn't come. This was death to our dance troupe. Because her parents refused 
to let her dance on the Sabbath. Refused. We petitioned her parents. We complained to her parents. We made fun of her. We poked her and poked her, trying to pressure her to rebel against her parents and show up anyways. Until finally she said, hey, you've got to understand in my family, I'm Jewish before I'm a dancer. And it never dawned on us, never dawned on us good Christians at a Christian-owned and operated dance studio that if we needed an extra rehearsal or we needed to get ready before the, that, that 1 p.m. matinee on a Sunday, it, it never dawned on us <laughs> that we were dancing instead of receiving communion, instead of praying. It never dawned on us. And it never shocked us as, as being odd that our, our parents would be in the audience rather than making sure our lives were centered on this. Because I knew that my parents, their life revolved around me. I was the center of their universe. I didn't realize that. The world didn't revolve around me until I got to college and I moved out on my own. And Chris might testify that I still don't, still not sure whether I don't know the world revolves around me. Someone, someone finally looked at me in the eye. I mean, probably Chris. <laughs> Look, the world is not about you. And, and that was a rude awakening for me. Some of us are still struggling with that. What would it be like for us to be so deeply shaped by who we are as God's children and how this place is most important, the most important experience we could have from week to week? How would that shape the way we did life? And what we put first. My next question for you is, I wonder if deflating a bit this notion of family as sacred helps you heal in case you have put that as something so central to who you might be. I wonder if you're waiting or waiting to find out, waiting, uh, waiting to see if there's a second, waiting. I wonder if you're, you're, you're past that and you're wondering, is it a... Everybody in the world seems to think this is the most important thing they ever did. How did I miss out on that? Promise you, promise you, Jesus could care less, could care less meets you in your pain, but points you towards the family that you have here. Meets you in your, your barrenness and points you toward the family you have here. And Jesus says, family is not the most important thing I got for you. As we, as we reflect on, on this All Saints Sunday, where we remember those who have gone before, people who have had biological children, who have not, those those who have tried and wanted and had not, those who never wanted, and were told that that was strange, that that was bizarre, that that was, good Lord, how do you do that in a world where everything revolves around family? 
I wonder where we, we find ourselves here today. I wonder how God is calling you into your understanding of what it means to be a child here, what it means to be grounded here, and what it means for this, this God who meets you here to be the center of your universe. Would you pray with me? God, I have, I have no idea what it's like to look at a child and know that this is the most important thing I've ever done. I have no idea. But I do know what it's like to have a God look at me and say to me, you're the most important thing I've ever created. And invite me to order my life around that thing, around that God. There are so many things fighting for our attention, fighting for our worship. Wherever we might be in this room in the midterms of life, we turn to you and we make you the center of our universe. And we ask you that you would help us change and and morph our practices, the ways we live life to match that claim. As we look forward to, to Tuesday, and everyone's telling us what's so important, what is the most important issue at hand? What everything will fall apart if this one thing doesn't happen. As we make gods out of all of our agendas, may, us, may we be reminded too that, that just like you're like, I'm not, I'm not into that family first thing, you're also not into all these other things we put, we lift up as if they're going to save us when we know our salvation is in you. We offer to you that prayer today, God, that prayer of adoption, where you adopt us into your family. And we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon to faithful warriors comes to rest. Sweet is the call of paradise, the blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. But no, there brings a yet more glory. Stay the same.
Singing to fire. 